even downright cutting, buddy, buddy. Wish I missed the past, buddy, buddy, but there's still buddy cats. No, don't be naughty, go meet everybody here on buddy cats. It's Friday, and you know what that means. Another episode of your favorite podcast, BuddyCast. I'm here today with my new buddy, Larry Cedar. How are you doing today, buddy? I'm very good, Nick. How are you? Oh, I'm doing amazing. Happy to have you on this show. Good to be here. Yes. So you have quite the resume, my friend. You have a career in acting within both film and television and even voiceover work. Let's go, let's go back to the beginning. How did it all begin? Uh, it all began, let's see, how far back do we want to go? Um, it all began in, in professionally, professionally, uh, when I got accepted to Hastings Law School out here in California, because that was the course that I had sort of selected for myself. I always liked acting, but it sort of wasn't, um, it wasn't an option in my family structure. Uh, and uh, so I had gotten into, applied and gotten into Hastings Law School and secretly auditioned for a, a one-act play in my last uh, quarter of my senior year, just for fun, because I'd done everything I needed to do. And I got into this play because I loved acting, but I just didn't think I'd do it professionally. And I did this play, and I was seen by one of the heads of the theater department at Ooh. UCLA. And he came up to me and said, what's your what's your plans? I said, well, I'm going to law school. He said, oh, no, 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 no. He says, you, you have to act. I said, well, that's just not an option. He says, well, do me a favor. Apply for our graduate school program in acting, and because uh, I'd love to have you in the program. I said, well, I, I'm not qualified. I didn't do any undergraduate. He says, don't worry, don't worry. We'll, we'll take care of that. So I had an audition. I got accepted and like a bell went off in my head. The minute I realized that, you know, acting was an option, that I had a route to go. I uh, went to my family and I said, uh, change plans. I'm not going to be a lawyer. going to do acting. And I started back in 76 with graduate school in acting. Jumped forward a couple of years, uh, won an award at the school, got seen by an agent, got put under contract at Universal Studios, a contract player, just a one-year contract. And that was it. I started acting professionally, commercials, television, everything, and uh, haven't looked back. Uh, I, I was, it, was, it was a great turning point in my life. I, I may have enjoyed being a lawyer. I don't know, because uh, it's somewhat theatrical, but I love being an actor. It, it's what I was born to do. It's what I, I was meant to do. I love it with all my heart. For all of its challenges, uh, it's just, for me, the greatest fulfilling, most fulfilling thing as a profession. So it was a very lucky day for me. And that man, Gary Gardner, came up to me and said that to me. It was a very lucky day. That was one powerful story. I got to ask a follow-up question. What did your parents or family think when you told them, hey, change of plans, instead of law school, instead of becoming a lawyer, we're going into acting? You know, I, I don't think my dad revealed his true feelings because what he said on the surface was, I'm really pissed off at you and you're throwing away a career. But my dad secretly wanted to be an actor. And mm. proof of that is years later when he retired from being a contractor, I actually got him an agent because he was a real character. And uh, he didn't know what to do with his time. He started getting commercials, and he loved it as much as I did. So as, as much disappointment as he expressed on the surface, I think underneath him, he was going, go, Larry. And <laughs> as I started to get professional work and make a, a really nice living, he saw that it was viable. Um, I think his biggest concern was for my security. He was worried mostly about how I, how I would make it. Once he saw I started to make a living as it, he, he was very proud and very supportive. So they turned around. That's good to hear. That's good to hear. Most people nowadays, you know, you hear it all the time. Like most people have that promising career lined up or have that like promising road. And then all of a sudden they take a detour. It seems like they take that detour or something. It's, but really the detour is like in your case, the 
real path for them. Like that's the real turn that they were meant to make the entire time. But everyone else just sees it as that detour, like that sudden turn, like, wait, you're doing what now? Yeah. Suddenly, well, two, there was two forks in the road for me. <clears throat> Amazing pivotal points in my life. <clears throat> One was uh, that moment when I was about to become a lawyer and I switched over to what I really loved. The other was when I saw my wife for the first time in the middle of a classroom. At mm -hmm. That was a major turning point in my life because from that point forward, nothing was the same. So, you know, you have these things in your life. A lot of things happen, but you always have, I'm sure you have things like this where just something happened that really altered the course of your life, hopefully for the better. You know? You're looking at it. Yeah, man. <laughs> You're looking at it. I, tell me a little bit about BuddyCast because I love your yeah. setup. I love the energy of the show. I've yes. watched a little bit of the last guy. What's, what, how did this come about? So I work for a news station and I did a, my first professional interview. I'm just the behind the scenes guy, like on the websites and all that. But I did my first professional interview with, have you ever heard of Dr. Patch Adams? Yes, I have. Yeah, I did the interview with the real, the real guy. Yeah, the real guy. Wow. So... Um, because I thought, you know, when you're on the website, you're seeing all these negative comments just when you post about the coronavirus status or whatnot, you know. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, this world, because we were in a time of a pandemic, we're still in a time of a pandemic, you know. You've seen it yourself. You walk outside and say hi to the first guy you see, and it, there's, a, there's a good percentage chance you might get greeted back with a profanity or some sort, you know. Yeah. So I'm like, this world just needs some positivity. So I reached out. Patch is a good buddy of mine i've been we've been pen pals for a while wow. and um he agreed to do it and then i just had so much fun chatting with him i'm like you know i would love to do this professionally or not professionally but just on my spare time like just you know meet people and get them to talk about great stories like just get them to talk about like what makes them unique pull them out of a time of a pandemic when people like you you know you people like you obviously you know like so it's hard nowadays to find some rules or something. It's hard, you know, cause we're on lockdown. You know, we might be on lockdown again. We might be just stuck at home. It's not like what it was three years ago when, you know, tomorrow you could be packing your bags, heading to somewhere in Texas for a while. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so then um, I, the best part about it was I pitched the idea to my girlfriend you know, just to tell her, hey, here's what I'm planning on doing. Don't worry, I'm not going to let this get in the way of the relationship or anything like that. The minute you think, hey, buddy, cash is becoming too much or whatever, just tell me to stop and I will. Right, I pushed right. the whole idea to her and she said, not only do I love and support this idea, can I be your first guest? Ah. I'm like, how'd you know my next question? <laughs> and she loved it. She's been, I call her the first. As a yeah. side note to that, because... Yeah. Um, I want you to continue your story. Yeah. Uh, the only other podcast I've done during the pandemic was with a guy who goes, I want to drink. It's, I, literally, the name of the podcast is I want to drink beer and watch horror movies. That's the name of the podcast. And the way it came about is this guy who had this profession. I can't remember exactly what it was. But things started to go south during the pandemic. And he was worried. What do I do? And his wife said, well, what do you want? What do you really want to do with your time? He says, well, I like to drink beer and watch horror films. He goes, there you go. That's the name of your podcast. And like you did, he spoke. He talked to his, in this case, his wife about it. She gave a stamp of approval. Now the thing is apparently taking off. I was a guest on the show, and he has a real passion for horror movies. Just he loves them, and I've mm -hmm. so it's funny yeah. how these things come about, you know. But anyway, so exactly, exactly. So I started it, and it just took off. I explained to others, like I sent to you in your in your message, just saying, "Hey, I've got this show that I'm running where I want to talk about what you know what makes people unique. About you know, I'd love to talk to you about acting." And 
I've pretty much majority of people have been, I love this idea. I am in, you know, and I, I, I don't know how you found me or picked me or whatever. It's funny what yeah. you think about, but I saw immediately the little bits I saw about your show. I saw a terrific energy, uh, a genuine curiosity. I love uh, curious people mm -hmm. because what they do is not only do they find out and educate the rest of us, but they, they validate uh, mm -hmm. Because you say you look at someone and you say, "What do you do? Why do you love it? Tell me about it." And you validate their their purpose in life, their existence. And I always say, "There's nothing I love more than meeting someone who loves their work." I just yeah, this is. If I could make a career, if I could make a career out of this, whoo, I'd be the happiest man on earth. Right. Yeah. Passionate about what you what you do, you can't help but draw people to you. People who want to help you, like look look at me. I don't. I've never met you before. I already mm -hmm. I love because. <laughs> I see your energy. I see your curiosity. I see that you're out there validating people and saying, hey, you know what you do is interesting. I like it. I want to know more. If there's anything that I, I don't like about what's going on in the world these days is there's a sort of a, a narcissism. We've all kind of put up the walls, pulled into ourselves, and we're out there throwing bombs over that wall instead of looking at each other, opening up the gates and saying, let me see what you're about. And let me see why what you do is great and positive. And there's a lot of negativity out there, and this is a very positive thing. So I support you, and I appreciate you getting in touch with me. I think it's fantastic. Oh, absolutely. So you know how I – thank you. for finding something you love. You know. Thank you. I appreciate it. You know how I did find you? You were on recently the show Young Sheldon, the spinoff of The Big Bang Theory. That's correct. Can I ask you, what was that like? Like, how did that come to be, and, like, what did, what was it like? Well, uh, I'll tell you from, from point A to point B to point C, um, it's very quiet this year. There's very little going on production-wise for actors. It's just basically shut down. There is production, but it's, you know, it's not like it was. I got a call. They wanted me to do a self, what we do now is self-tape auditions. You used to go into the office and they wanted mm -hmm. me to do an audition for this role of this locomotive train uh, museum uh, curator. So I said, great. I sent it in, quickly realized I'd done it. I hadn't seen the show. It takes place in Texas. I quickly redid it with a, a Southern accent, which they were appreciative because it, it did fit the scene better. And uh, lo and behold, I got it. I had, I had been growing my hair long during the pandemic. I said, you want me to cut my hair? And they said, no, they, they kind of like it. They think it's interesting. And then a couple weeks later, I got cast. Um, nice. I was so happy to be on set and on the lot again, because like I said, so quiet, but it was like, you know, you worry, I've been off for a few months. Is it going to be awkward? Not at all. Step right on the set. Everyone was very professional. That kid is amazing. Very smart. Very professional. Uh, everyone there was terrific. They built, you know, my daughter is in art direction and props back in New York and films and TV. Mm. Come to have an appreciation for what it takes to build a world. And if you saw this episode, you saw the detail, the local yes. the posters, the, all the, the intricacies. So it was a fascinating job. I was there for, uh, I think, two days, two, maybe three days. Had a great time. I did see the episode. I was happy with how it came out. And, uh, and when, I, when I was speaking to you before we started, I said I was on some phone calls. I actually just submitted another audition to the same casting director for the show Mom. And uh, Ooh. so I hope I get that. We'll see what happens. But it was great. Great experience. I, I loved it. I loved it. We'll send out good buddy vibes for you, you know? Thank you. I appreciate it. Yep. So now I got to ask, the kind that gets me wondering, um, what were some of your favorite roles in the past from movies or television shows? What are some other notable ones that stuck out to you in your I, career? I'm a bit of a nut acting wise. I take it very seriously and uh, I like to inhabit a character. And <clears throat> if I've been given the opportunity to fully inhabit a character, <clears throat> it stays with you. It's like, it's a strange analogy, but it's like catching a bug and it's with mm -hmm. you for a while. There's been a few roles in my life that I've done 
that stayed with me. Uh, the number one is Leon on Deadwood. I, um, that guy, because I was that guy for three years, uh, I think something 26 episodes, I think. I'm not really sure. Uh, and I loved that character. Um, he really inhabited me, and it's still with me to this day. I, I had posted, I started a Twitter account called Leon's Ghost, I think. And it was Leon, because Leon dies in the show. Sorry if you haven't seen it, but he dies. Alert. <laughs> it's killed in the last episode. So I was so uh, hung up on the character. I was so, I so felt like I knew him and he was in me that I post started posting tweets as if Leon was posting from beyond the grave. Uh, his thoughts about being Leon and living in the town of Deadwood and the things he went through. And I accumulated, I don't know, maybe, maybe 60, 70, I don't know, tweets. And it's still up. You can still see it. Uh, because I couldn't let go of the character. So uh, finally, it started to kind of drift away. But um, if you ask me, that's definitely my absolute favorite. Um, just for curiosity's sake, um, when I played the creature on the wing of the plane in the feature film, The Twilight Zone, The Gremlin on the Wing, that's mm -hmm. always a very memorable experience. Uh, anything I like, I don't like being conventional. I don't like being the guy that's just, hey there, Mr. Jones, I got your paper. I, I just, I like weird, twisted, strange stuff. In Deadwood, I played an opium addict. In Twilight Zone, I played a gremlin on a wing. Uh, I did a movie called The Crazies, a horror film, where I get kind of uh, turned into this crazed killer by this chemical we all ingest accidentally, and I go around killing people with a pitchfork. That's interesting to me. Uh, anything dark, twisted, strange, weird, memorable. Um, I have a real problem with blending in. I just don't want to. As an actor, as a person, I'm invisible. I, I like my anonymity, and I like a low profile. But as an actor, when I do a role, I want it to be really interesting and different. Uh, that gives me a great deal of satisfaction because I would say acting is kind of like time travel. You mm -hmm. get to, if you successfully achieve the process, if you actually successfully follow the steps, you enter another world. You live in that world, in that moment for however long. And it's just like unbelievable. You literally transport. So um, when I transport, I want to go someplace interesting. Uh, and I've been to some interesting places. Nice. Nice. Now, if I'm also, am I correct? You also do some voiceover work, too. I do. I do voiceovers, uh, radio commercials. I've done animation. I was on Animaniacs and Pinky and the Brain. Ooh. Uh, yeah, I've done some interesting, again, interesting stuff. Amazing. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, yeah. these guys are great, very talented people from, from the artists to the, the writers to the actors. It's, again, it's a very special experience. Uh, I like, you know, and I'm sure you've discovered this. It's, it's really um, fulfilling to rub elbows with really interesting, talented people. It, I, won't, I don't want to say it comes off on you, but it enhances your life. Uh, on Deadwood was an experience where I got to work with some amazing actors. Powers Booth, I did quite a few scenes with. He's since passed away. But at first I was intimidated, and then I realized, no, being around him is going to make me a better actor because you, talk, <laughs> you, you learn, you experience things. So um, even I always like to say troublesome people, people who are maybe difficult or not so pleasant to work with, you learn something, you learn something. And as an actor, it's a very evolutionary process. You're always trying to develop. You're always trying to uh, expand, uh, stretch the envelope and find corners of your consciousness that you didn't even know existed. So that at the end of this journey, you are as, you are as complete as you could possibly hope to be. You know, um, again, I say that about you. You're a curious person. That's what curious people have. They want to know more. I want to mm -hmm. understand more about how this works and that works, how how you work. Uh, it just fills us out as people. So, you know, that's what motivates me. Mm -hmm. I would say if you're not, you know, you learn something new every day. And if you're not 
learning so I always learn stuff from the show. The day I don't learn something from this show, the day I don't have I have an episode where I didn't learn anything about this person is like the day I interview myself, you know? Because right. even like I'm gonna ask you a question then. Yes. Do you do you find yourself uh, ever bored in life? There have been times, yes, yeah. but you nothing and, and I like to think of myself like that. We're rarely bored because the minute we start to feel bored, we pick a task. There's always something yes. we're interested in doing. Uh, I'm never going to sit around and wait for someone to give me something to do or think about or research because mm -hmm. I don't want to waste my life. You know, so I'm rarely, I really have that experience of being bored because if nothing's going on, I find something to do that interests me. And I get that, again, I get that feeling uh, from you that you're curious. Yeah. So that's, you have a fulfilling life if you're curious because you pay attention. Thank you. Thank you. Now you mentioned earlier some actors that you've worked with. What about a wish list? What if you could make a wish list of actors you want to work with today? Who would be on that list? Well, I want to tell you a, a funny thing about that. Uh, it's it's a curious thing to say because I have on occasion worked with actors I wanted to work with. Wished always wished I could, and it's a terrible mm -hmm. thing. It only happened a couple of times when they disappoint you, and they're mm -hmm. not the person you expected, and maybe sometimes even difficult. So I have a wish list. But that doesn't necessarily mean if I got to work with them, it would be the greatest thing. It's always strange as an actor when you've admired an actor or actress for years and then you get to work with them. And then you work with them and you go like, oh, oh, they're not, oh, they're not, oh, shoot. You know, it's disappointing. Yeah. On the other hand, sometimes you work with someone and they're beyond anything you could have imagined. Beyond anything you could have imagined. Uh, gosh. Um, Oh my God, there's so many great actors. Uh, I'd love to work with Ben Kingsley. I'd love to work with Sam um, uh, Rockwell. Uh, I'd love to work with Robert De Niro, my God, who wouldn't? Any of these guys, anybody who brings it, who really, really brings it, because it's a gift what they give you as an actor, because they bring it so fully, they elevate you. It's like rising waters lift all boats. Good actors make you a better actor. So just <laughs> name any of these people, they're all, they're just, the people that are totally committed to the craft, I would like to work with them. And I've worked with them. Uh, some, yeah. some great ones. God, it's just such a pleasure. Such a pleasure. Mm -hmm. And you're right about the whole thing of like the expectations, you know? There have been that times for me on the show, like I expected this to go a lot better. And then it goes like, okay, that could have gone, you know? Or there are times where, you know, I'll admit, there are times I thought something like, yeah, this is just, you know, another buddy. And they've totally blown me away. They've been like, Whoa, I was not expecting that. Like, that is an amazing, that was an amazing episode. So you're 100% right about the expectations. Yeah, I find the key ingredient is generosity of spirit. Um, mm -hmm. I always go back to Powers Booth because there's only been a couple of times in my entire career that I've actually been scared of another actor, intimidated by another actor. I'm just not. I don't care, you know, how great they are. When we're together on the set, it's just us in the scene. So I don't, I'm not intimidated. Powers Booth intimidated me. And it was the first time I found myself going, Jesus, why am I so scared of this guy? Because he was really a powerful presence and he could be really intense. And I thought, I don't want to get on his bad side. But what he had was an incredible generosity of spirit. And I'll tell you a story, um, which ultimately made, it made me love him. I loved it. I loved working with him. And, and our relationship as characters was he would pretty much beat me up and, and berate me. That was our relationship as characters. But I loved it. It was great. But the story yeah. is, I was cast, it's a strange thing about Leon on Deadwood. I was originally cast uh, for a one day guest star, one day. And um, 
they had me down there, and they, I heard them talking about me. You, you, they bring you over, and they be kind of, you're kind of trying to hear. And I heard one of them say, he looks like, yeah, you know, we should have you do. Well, lo and behold, it turns out I looked like another character that they wanted on the show. I was cast for one thing, but I looked like this Leon character because I had the red hair, as they described it, and I looked kind of skinny, and, and he was an opium addict. So they said, you know what? We're casting you as Leon. He's going to be around for a few episodes, like three or four. I said, great. So on Deadwood, it was chaotic, and, and a lot of the great sets are chaotic. Like when I worked with um, <clears throat> Terry uh, Gilliam on uh, Fear and Loathing, it was chaotic. And you don't know what's going on. You don't know if they know you're there. You don't know if they care about you. You don't know if they like what you're doing or if they hate you, if you're about to be fired. You just don't know. But that's the great sets are a little chaotic because there's a lot of creativity going on. So Deadwood was like that. Lots going on, hundreds of extras. They didn't know what they were shooting or what. So the first two days I was there, I was just sitting around. They didn't use me. They put me in the background in the shot. And I kept calling my wife and saying, I think they're making me an extra. I don't know what's going on. So I started to get progressively more and more kind of depressed. I thought, well, they had this idea, but it's not going to happen. And I'm just, they're just going to let me go. Because people were let go all the time on Deadwood. I mean, you never knew if you were going to die or what. So I'm sitting around. It's the end of about the third day. And I'm sitting outside one, the saloon, literally with my, my head just hanging down. Just kind of like, no one's talked to me for two days. And uh, I thought, well, that happens. You know, I got close to being on a series, but I guess it's not going to happen. Powers Booth walks by. And he stops, and he had this really deep voice. I can't even do it. My character's name was Leon. And he looked at me, and he went, Leon. Like that, he just went, Leon. Something like that. Like, he was talking to me like his character, like, I see you. You know, and I was kind of like, holy fuck, he knows who I am. He knows who I am. And I remember feeling like, I exist. I exist. Powers Booth, who was playing Tolliver, has acknowledged me. And I got this feeling like, I think I'm in the show. And lo and behold, the next day, <clears throat> they started shooting different scenes with me and with him. And he just kind of gave me that. He didn't have to do that. He just walked over and he said, I see you. I recognize you as an actor. And I know that we're going to have some scenes together. And I'm kind of starting to set that up. And I was like, I was just like, I'm in. And I love the guy for that after that. And he was, he continued to be like that for the rest of the series for three years. He'd say hi to me. How you doing? How's it going? All right, let's do this. Let's kick the ass of this scene. Let's just do it. And then we'd start. And, and uh, so generosity of spirit. He wanted, he had, he wanted it to be all inclusive. He wanted us all to benefit from the show. You know, that's my point. <laughs> nice. nice. That was a great story. That was a great, great story. Now, hey, yeah. Speaking of stories, do you have any funny behind the scenes yet audience appropriate stories from your, from your acting career? You think you could give us like one or two? Oh my God. You mean like where things went wrong or something like that? Just something funny, like something like something that you always think about. And you just you immediately laugh. <clears throat> immediately laugh. Oh my god! So, I always say as an actor, just when you think you've embarrassed or humiliated yourself to the last possible degree, <laughs> the next day happens and you you do something even more embarrassing. I I don't know. It's almost painful to think about. As an actor, you have to put yourself out there. Mm -hmm. You have to say, I'm going to give this a shot. And 50% of the time, it's painful to even think about because I know it's going to happen to me again. You fall flat on your face. You know, the very best acting is this far away from the very worst acting. So I've done some really bad auditions I don't want to think about. I've, uh, uh, okay, here's a story. I don't know if this is something I never forgot. When I was mm -hmm. doing, have you seen The Twilight Zone, The Gremlin, or Is the Gremlin on the Wing? I think so. I think. Well, there's a, it's a, a, of a, a famous uh, Twilight Zone episode where this uh, man was played by William Shatner in the original, John Lithgow played it in the remake. He's, not, he's terrified of flying. 
And long story short, he gets on the plane and he's, they finally calm him down. He looks out the window and he sees this gremlin, this creature on the wing, messing with the engine and causing the plane to go crazy. And he tries to tell everyone and they look out and it's gone. So he thinks he's losing his mind. Ultimately, the creature comes to the wing, comes to the, the window. John Lithgow tries to shoot him with a gun he got from a, uh, an air marshal. Blows out the window. He gets pulled halfway out the window and the creature and him have this tussle. And he's this horrible looking creature. And uh, I was on a wire basically so I could fly. And uh, it was pretty early in my career. And uh, the wires, if you've ever heard of these wires, they put you on there like a very thin wire so they won't be seen by the camera. But if they get a kink, if they get rolled over on themselves, they can break. So there's a little bit of a risk. And um, all I remember is being out there and flying and doing this thing. And they had the wind effects and the rain. It's just crazy. And, uh, you know, uh, what's his name? Miller, uh, George Miller, the director is, you know, louder action. Louder, and the wire breaks. Fortunately, I'm not up, up in the air. I'm about three feet from the ground. And I drop to the ground and I yell and I'm on a mic so they could hear me. I yell cut like this. I just yell cut. And George Miller, everything stops. And George Miller says, who the hell said cut? We're in the middle of the shot. It's like, who, who had the nerve to say cut? cut on my shot. He was furious, right? And I very sheepishly with this monster gifts, it was me, you know, when he understood why it happened, he was very forgiving, but it's just, I never forgot that moment because, uh, you know, I kind of pissed off George Miller, which you don't want to do, but he understood, you know, it was, it was yeah. again, interesting job, a very interesting job, not forgettable. You know? And at least you're okay. You know, at least you were okay. At least you weren't like 10 feet in the air and then, well, you know. story. Another memorable story, which I'll never forget. Uh, so I'd been on Deadwood for about, I don't know how many episodes, 10? <laughs> and there were two of us uh, opium addicts. We were the flunkies for uh, Swearingen. We would go and do his spying and stuff. And, and they told me David Milch would come up to you and he'd say to you, when you were going to be killed off, he'd say, listen, tomorrow we're, you're going to die. I'm writing it in the script. I'm sorry. It's been great having you and have a great life. So he came up and he gave me that speech. And I, I had had a good run. I got 10 episodes or something when I was only supposed to be there for one. So I was pretty happy. I was sad. And uh, the scene was, there's a bathtub. There's two bathtubs. And me and the other dope addict have been brought to these bathtubs where Swearingen, played by Ian McShane, is going to interrogate us and uh, find out, you know, which of us stole the dope. Because there's a Chinaman, Mr. Wu, who has the dope and we stole his dope. So he's going to find out. He's going to kill one of us. And we got to draw straws. So the story went that I was supposed to die. Uh, I don't know why they picked me. The other guy was a really good actor, so I understood that. So it could have been either of us. But anyways, the night before we shoot, they send out rewrites when you do a series. Every night you get new pages, new lines. And they send me the rewrites, and I'm putting them in the script. And I look through, and I go, oh, my God, they switched it. The other guy dies. And I just, I was, I was just blown away. I felt horrible for the other guy. Because uh, we'd, we'd said our goodbyes and everything, and it was over. But at the same time, I was like, damn. And sure enough, the next day we went in, they had switched it to the other guy. Uh, I'm not sure why. I'm not sure why. But I felt terrible for him. But then I went on to do two more years on the show. So, again, one of these miraculous moments that can happen in this career. It comes out of nowhere and changes the course of your life. And that was a big moment. Wow. Your career was saved. Or your time on the show was saved. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, I got to ask you, in your own words, what does it mean to be someone's buddy? Well, I got very few close friends in my life, so I have a real clear picture of what that is. And I like to joke around. I like to call it airport privileges. And what I mean by that is a good buddy is that guy you know that if you were stuck, 
you came in from out of town on a plane, you could call that guy and just say, I'm, I'm in a jam. Can you pick me up then? Boom, they're there. I got about three people in my life that I know I can call and they know they can call me. And it's a sort of, it's not like we talk all the time, but a good buddy is someone who's there for you. A good buddy is someone who knows that in this life, we all have our struggles and we all need someone to come through for us now and then. And in a way, without question, they will just be there. And uh, that to me is a good buddy. That's a person who cares for you on a fundamental level, respects who you are, and gets that same respect back from you. And as I said, my good buddies, we don't talk all the time, but they're the first person who I will pick up the phone to speak to if there's a problem. And I know they feel the same about me. That's a good buddy. Exactly. Exactly the answer I was hoping for. And you're a buddy here on BuddyCast, so. <laughs> you're an official buddy on BuddyCast. Glad, man. So, I feel privileged. I really like, uh, yeah. I like the format. I like the concept. It's great. Thank you. And you mentioned earlier the positive, what you loved is the positivity, like the positive vibe that this show gives off. So we mentioned, going back a little bit to the beginning of the show, we mentioned like how there's all this negativity going on today. Like I said before, you say hi to the first person outside, you just pass on the street and there's good a good chance a profanity gets thrown your way or, you know, just, it's, it's just heartbreaking today. Like you just, there were times where you just scrolling in and I asked, how can some of these people like, like how are some of these people, the people you met five years ago, you know, stuff like that. How can we, yes. How can we spread more positivity today? How can we change that vibe and change it to a more positivity world? I, I think we have to start with a fundamental understanding that we are all in this together. And, and, and I think it's important that we start every day however we feel, whatever our struggles are, that we recognize that the person across the street or around the corner is going through the exact same thing or worse. I remember I was on the set of Deadwood once, and there's, like I said, there's hundreds of people on the set. And you get kind of self-centered when you're an actor. It's a real, it's an occupational hazard. You're thinking about yourself and what are they, you know. You forget that everybody struggles. And one day I was walking past a, a, one of the, the side rooms on the set, the streets of Deadwood, and I was thinking about myself and how's my scene going to go? And I'm really tired. Or God, that guy got it better. You know, thinking all that narcissistic stuff. And I heard this guy on the phone and he was apparently in the middle of a divorce. And he was a crew guy. And these guys get no breaks. They don't have a dressing room. They don't have some shady warm spot. They can go whatever. He was just there on the set all day. And he had taken a moment to go into this room and he was haggling over something with his wife about the divorce. And he was practically crying. And she's like, oh, you don't understand. And I heard that. I said, God dang it. Every person on this set puts their problems aside to do a professional job, but everybody has mothers and fathers and sisters and brothers and wives and husbands. And if you can start every day by just remembering that, and if a person's having a struggle of some sort or looks like they're in a bad mood, just try to remember they're coming from to that moment with you from a whole other world that you know nothing about and try to just imagine that their struggles are as difficult or maybe much worse than yours and give them some empathy, some sympathy, and hope that they will give you the same return. Because if we can all recognize we're all in this together, we're all just trying to survive this life on earth and everything it throws at us. We're all going through the same struggles and maybe we can deal with each other with a little more kindness and respect and give each other, I guess I could say, the benefit of the doubt. Just give each other the benefit of the doubt and then take it from there. Now, people say, you know, if they're if they're if they start acting disrespectfully or rude or problematic, you got to deal with that. But just start with the belief. 
try to start with the belief that everything's good. We're all good. We're all just trying kind respect and then take it from there. Yeah. Love that answer. Cause you're right. You never know what someone's going through. Even, you know, I've heard stories of people who have got, you know, who have been like these lifelong, like I was in a ministry once and there's a story about these two girls who were lifelong rivals. Like they, everyone in the school knew these two hated each other. So in this ministry that I was in, we always start with this ice breaking activity, which is called jousting, which, you know, two buddies will go up or two random students will just go up and they'll have those big, like joust sticks, you know, like you've seen them in like the gymnasiums and everything. And they'll just go at it. We, we monitor it, of course, so no one gets, you know, too bad or something like that. But our executive director and main speaker calls up this girl sitting all the way over here and this girl sitting all the way over here. All of a sudden the place erupts. Cause this is, again, these two girls have had a fight, have had a feud for, you know, since the beginning of time. And now it's fight time. Now it's the time they get to let it all out, you know? And you know what's going to happen next. So the bell rings. They go out there. The one girl looks around, drops, the, slams down her stick and goes, forget this. Right in the other girl's face. And now, now everyone's thinking like, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? Lunch. Yeah, straight in the face, like straight in the nose. So the one girl, you know, so the, our executive director is like looking around like, what do I do? What do I do? The teachers are all standing there like, you got yourself into this, buddy. Good luck getting out of it. So then he goes, he looks and he goes, hit her again. True story. And he, everyone's, now the teachers are like, okay, those are, they're not crazy. He is. And he goes on and he says, hit her again. It's going to bring your dad back, right? Hit her again. It's going to take all that depression away, right? And he just lists all these problems that people can go through, you know, like, hit her again. I guarantee it's going to bring your boyfriend back, right? Like, he just goes through this entire list. And the one girl who threw the punch just goes, yeah, whatever, and goes and sits down. The one girl, you know, she goes in, like, the top row and sits down. The one girl who got hit in the face sits in the front row. And then later on, as part of the ministry, we get to share our stories. You know, people in the crowd can share their stories, like the biggest struggle they've been through and what's brought them through it. Like, you know, I, as a little person, if you can tell, I've been bullied a lot because of it, or I've been underestimated because of a lot of it, but it's been people in my life, like my mom, who's never given up on me, or, you know, people like the buddies that I have on this show to this day, who remind me of my importance, that just remind me that I am much more than what people downgrade me to. So this girl who got hit in the face comes up and shares her story about how her dad actually did leave her and how... Like, it's been a struggle for the family. Like, now the mom has to provide another job. Like, just goes through all that struggling and everything. And in the middle of her story, she breaks down. And our exec the reason we do this is to show that you are not alone. Like you said, you're not alone. So he calls up the girl. He calls. He says, you know, you, don't, you think you're the only one, don't you? I'm going to prove you wrong today. How many of you know what she's going through? Come down and give her a hug. Guess who the first person to come down and give, give her a hug was? The other girl? The one who popped you in the face. You never know. It could be your life. It could be your mm -hmm. lifelong rival, like someone you just can't get along with no matter how hard you try. Someone <laughs> could be, you know, it's because you know exactly what they are going through. Because you're going yeah. through it too. Yeah. You know, I um as an actor, and and, and the same I think for your profession. Being a curious person, I'm always trying to understand myself and the human condition. This is what we do. 
I'm curious as to why people act the way they act, behave the way they behave, how I can fix things for myself and other people. This is what my curiosity is. People say, what motivates you as an actor? It's because I want to study the human condition. <clears throat> and it's an odd thing about pain. It's a strange, and you know, I'm always saying, who, you know, whoever designed us, why did they make us this way? It's an odd thing about pain that when you feel pain, you want to inflict pain. It's a strange thing. It's very difficult to just own your pain. You feel like maybe it's an attempt to get rid of the pain. Maybe you feel like by inflicting it on someone else, you will take it out of yourself and alleviate your own pain. I, I suspect that's the mechanism because there's so much. Some people walk around a lot of pain and they inflict pain as a, as a way to just free themselves of that pain. But and it's very difficult to recognize that what's required is what you just described. When you when you do acknowledge and see clearly what is the source of that pain, it can just go away. It's mm -hmm. when you refuse to acknowledge it or 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 somehow um what's the word confirm it yeah right. when you when you just hide it down when you just bury it deep down and just forget about it that's right i always say that uh, feelings suppressed are, are horribly difficult and painful feelings of mm -hmm. are scary as hell but feelings released are liberating mm -hmm. and, uh, and i think the people if we think about it like the example you just gave who have inflicted the most pain on us in the course of our lives, we're people who were themselves in a lot of pain. And uh, you have to feel sympathy for them. You know, mm -hmm. uh, my father could be a very difficult man. And I would say that I experienced a certain amount of emotional pain because of our relationship. But as life progressed and I grew up and began to understand why he was the way he was, the pain went away because I saw that he himself was in pain. And that's why he behaved the way he did. And the mm -hmm. other thing was, as I began to communicate to them, him, that, that I understood that and that it was okay, he softened. So it's it's just like you said, getting people to acknowledge the truth of their life will will ease that pain. Uh, exactly. So that's, that's beautiful that you did that, you know. And uh, mm -hmm. thank you. You said so I'm assuming it was a particular religion. That's the beautiful thing yeah. about religion. I think it's man's attempt to understand ourselves. You know? Right there. Right there. Of faith and spirituality and religion, you know. My faith has been the reason I've been here today, you know, my family's faith and my faith, like, just because I, I'll give you another story. I wasn't supposed to be here today. I was, my mom found out about me when she was in a terrible car accident. Long story short, a semi ran the red light. So you can imagine speeding semi compared to a car no bigger than the Suzuki that I drive right now. You know, you can do, everyone in here has gone through physics class, you know. So before my mom passes out from all the pain and everything, she says she thinks she's pregnant, passes out, wakes up in the emergency room. And within about an hour of being conscious, you know, they confirm with her, yeah, you're pregnant, but don't get your hopes up. We don't think this kid's going to make it. My mom knew me for less than an hour and was already being told a list of odds that told her the only chance I had of living past the age of three, let alone making it past birth, were by miracles, including life in ICU, my life in seizure medication. To this day, I've I've taken seizure medication maybe once or twice when I was very young. And if this is ICU, then it looks a lot like a podcast, you know. So, but so I outlook the I my mom. I give her one hundred percent of the credit every day because she looked those doctors in the eye and said, "Why should I? I've known this kid an hour, and you're telling me to give up? I don't think so." I'll get, she went in with the mentality of, I'll give up the day I put this kid in the ground. Till then, I'm going to do everything possible to give him the best life possible. And she has. 
mom instincts just like instantly kicked in. Yes. And she has to this day. She still does that. She's still, yeah. I'm not her favorite child or anything like that. Like I'm not like the child who gets all the special advantage, you know, like if, if I mess up and my brother messes up, you know, we both do the same thing. My brother's not getting like grounded for 10 years and you know, all this stuff. And I'm just getting the, don't do that again. You know? Yeah. It's yeah. the same. Sometimes parents are tougher on the ones that they love more. Exactly. Exactly. But I tell you, um, yeah. You 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 said the word miracle, and uh, I do a lot of these one man uh, shows. I do adaptations of literature, and there's a Dostoevsky piece I did called Notes from the Underground, and there's a line in there where he talks about we don't we we talk a lot about what's wrong with our life and what we're unhappy about. We don't spend enough time. Uh, validating the miracles of our life. Uh, there's a, uh, a man out here, a religious man who does um, a lot of uh, political and religious discussions, a man named Dennis Prager. And he always says the happiest people in life are the ones who have the most gratitude. Gratitude. They, every day they're able to look at their life and just be just grateful for some mm -hmm. aspect or many aspects of their life. And there's so many reasons to be grateful and there's so many miracles out there that we just don't pay attention to. I don't know why it's more difficult to do that, why it's just so much easier to complain yes. and be unhappy, but people gravitate towards that. <clears throat> the truth of the matter is, if they would focus on the things they're grateful for, all of that pain and suffering would be so alleviated. You're obviously a, a grateful person. I think that's what makes you so positive. Mm -hmm. Myself as a, a grateful person, and it helps get me through the day. But it's uh -huh. not always a choice. Being grateful for some reason takes a certain amount of mm -hmm. work. I think maybe it's because when we're grateful, we have to acknowledge our good fortune. And that's scary because then we're mm. afraid to go away. I think mm. that, maybe that's a factor. I'm not sure. Yes. Here's my key to that. Here's my key. I have a saying in life. I, it's an equation. Yes. For every one person I know that may say hate me or may like, I may not be in good favor with, you know, someone that I'm negative with. I know of at least two others that love me no matter what. It's a two-to-one ratio. I like that. Yeah. You know what? The idea that we could <clears throat> get through life without people disliking us or hating us or being pissed off at us, it's impossible. So you mm -hmm. gotta, there's going to be people out there that just aren't going to dig you. You know, mm -hmm. you Focus on the ones that do love you. And uh, I think that's a great formula. I like yeah. that. I remember that. Yep. Now, speaking of all of this, you know, we mentioned like, being grateful and everything. One question I always ask my buddies that come on the show is about charity if you could have our audience donate to one charity of your choice what would it be and why i'm thinking because uh, there's so many things mm -hmm. I, I, i'm always um i there are two groups in life that i feel i always find myself thinking they deserve better they deserve more of a break than they got one is children children young infants you know like hospitals, pediatric hospitals, where children are suffering, God forbid, from cancer or something like that. I think that's an excellent cause. And I also believe that uh, soldiers uh, have the courage uh, and <clears throat> faith and patriotism to enlist in the service, to fight on behalf of this country. And you may agree or disagree with some of the choices that are made militarily in this world. And believe me, I have a lot of disagreements, but those are made at the upper level. The soldiers themselves, the guys who are out there living the life, suffering, often with their paying with their life or with severe injury or whatever, these people deserve our support. So yes. 
pediatric or our, our soldiers are the first ones that come to mind. I think people that just deserve better and deserve whatever assistance we can afford to give. I think we should support this cause. 100%. 100%. You know, I truly think that there's, have you ever heard the saying before by C.S. Lewis? True friendship is born when one friend says to another, wait, you too? I thought <laughs> that was one. Wait, you know? what are you saying? Two and what? You too? I thought I was the only one. Well, I think that just sums up everything we've just been talking about. It's an acknowledgement. Exactly. And that's what's going Yep. And that's what's going What's that? Go ahead, go ahead. This is why I like great literature. And I've done, I'm on my fourth show now. I did a, an Orwell piece. I did an mm -hmm. SDS piece, a Kafka piece, and now I'm working on my second Kafka piece. The great writers, what makes them great is an acute, acutely sharp and intellectual understanding of humanity, what makes people tick. And if you read the writings of these great writers, it's such a gift because they can see, not only can they see, but they have an ability to clearly express what it is we're all trying to understand about ourselves. So you said C.S. Lewis, a great writer. Yes. He's able to, in a very short sentence, sum up what makes a friend. And what makes a friend, what really makes a friend is what we call the ultimate buddy cast buddy question. You ready for this final question? Yep. And for anyone out there who wants to be an actor like you, what is your advice to them? I want to think carefully about this because becoming an actor for me changed my life, saved my life. It was one of the most thrilling decisions of my life, but also led me down a very challenging path. I would say, first of all, do you know in your heart you want to be an actor? And by that, do you feel like there's nothing else you want to do? That this is what gives you the reason to get up every day because you so believe in the craft of acting that you just can't imagine doing anything else. So I would say, ask yourself that question. If you burn with a desire to act, if it's you sense that it's the way you are wired, if you feel that way, do not do anything else. Pursue that craft with the understanding that you will face major, major obstacles. Obstacles. But the great thing about doing something you love is that nothing can stop you. Nothing can stop you because no matter how much adversity you face, you have a will to succeed beyond anything that this obstacle can present. And you will power through that obstacle and another and hundreds more. And you will find your place. Everybody, I believe, has a place in this world. And sometimes it's hard to get to that place. But if you want it, you will find your place in this world. There is room for everybody. And there is a space for you. And if that's your destiny, by God, just go for it. Go for it. Ask people for advice who are in the profession. Get as much help as you can. Work with the best people you can. Never give up. Never be defeated. And if you do feel defeated, find that part of you that can overcome that defeat and build your inner strength. And you will succeed as an actor. I love it. It reminds me of the song, Don't Stop Me Now by Queen. Don't stop me now. Now, boy, what a what a uh, inspiration Freddie Mercury was. His oh, 100%. That's why, you know, Freddie Mercury was that guy. Like, what, what we've been talking about through the show. Like, just, he didn't care what others thought of him. He didn't care that, like, you know, everyone thought, you're, you've got this energy to you, this weird energy, you know. He just, he just jumped up and did it. Listen, hey, and that's what caused him. Yeah. yeah, you're not going to be happy in life unless you pursue your dream. You're just not going to be happy. So, exactly. You know, it makes you secure uh, and, and you have a comfort, 
of sorts, but you won't be happy. So skip ahead, skip, skip over all that bullshit and just start going after what you love and you will be happy on a daily basis because in your heart, you'll know you're doing what you're supposed to do. And that's very fulfilling. Life is short. Just do Great it. Day. A perfect note to end on, my friend. Thank you so much for being a buddy here. I'm Buddy Cash. It was an honor to meet you. It was my for... pleasure. It was an honor to meet you as well. I love this, and I wish you all the best, and I'll be paying attention to what's next, and, uh, and can thank you for having me. Yes, and I have one favor. First off, for all my buddies out there, this is my buddy Larry Cedar. Thank you again for joining me, and I have one favor to ask you today. Yes. Go be someone's buddy. Ah. I will. I will definitely do that. It would be my privilege and pleasure to be someone's buddy. I will do that. Yes. We'll catch you all next time here on BuddyCast. Well, the days are going fast. Buddy, buddy, we've got to make them last. Buddy, buddy, before they've all gone past. Buddy, buddy, tune in to BuddyCast. Make it buddy Here on BuddyCast